Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Blackhawks Roundtable presented by the Hockey Writers. I'm your host, Brooklyn Laferno, joined by Hunter Crowther and Gail Kalchuk. Unfortunately, Connor is a healthy scratch tonight, so he will not be here. But obviously, the show goes on. He'll be back, um, thankfully, next time, I'm sure. So, But we have a lot to talk about. But before we get into it, I just have to give a shout out to um, the Blackhawks Substack. If you guys do not know what the Blackhawks Substack is, if you're interested as a Blackhawk fan, we will take all we take all of our articles and content and we send it to your email Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, completely free if you want to sign up for that. But we also have an option for Blackhawk Substack Premium. If you want to upgrade your subscription, we also offer other things like prospects check-ins, um, shows. We got pregame um previews sent directly to you. That's an option for you as well. Um, lots of great stuff there from our team. So we want to make sure you're part of the family and you don't miss out on any content that you don't want to miss. And if you're interested, the link for all of that will be in the description. And as always, you can follow me, Hunter and Gail on Twitter. That's where we're most active. You can follow us. Our usernames are on the screen here. And also be sure to follow all of our articles on thehockeywriters.com. Uh, and like I said, we got a lot to talk about today. I'm really excited that we're doing this show because there's a lot of good stuff in this outline today. So we got to start with the fact that the Blackhawks have a 4-7-0 record as we're sitting right here. Um, They're headed into their second month of hockey. This season's been kind of flying by, guys. I can't believe we're already in the second month of hockey or they're headed into their second month of hockey. But to start the show off, we kind of want to talk about the most recent news that happened last night, or by the time everyone else sees it, it'll probably be two days past. But um, after the Blackhawks lost 4-2 to two against the New Jersey Devils, the players had a players-only meeting. The players were kind of coy about what was said. They wanted to protect kind of the privacy of the locker room and what was said. But they did give a little bit of insight into some ideas of what was said. Um, Seth Jones and Corey Perry spoke about just kind of, like I said, the themes and a little bit of what was said. And I kind of just want us to talk about just everything that kind of went on. So Gail, I'm going to start with you here because you were the one that was really, um, you got, you have really most of the information on this. So what do we think about this uh, players only meeting that happened after the game? So you had already mentioned that uh, Seth Jones and Corey Perry were really one, the ones that kind of spearheaded talking to the media and their, their overall theme was pretty much, you know, that everybody wants to stay accountable. And I liked what Corey Perry said about, you know, being a brotherhood. I think this is actually a really good sign, right? Usually that's kind of a problem if you have a players only meeting. But let's face it, the Blackhawks were not expected to win that game against the Devils. Mm-hmm. They really weren't expected to win any of the four games they, they've won so far. With that in mind, I'm not really sure if there really was the need for this players only meeting. Their performance to date has kind of been what's been expected. So uh, I think it's great that they're trying to build the right culture and they're just doing this right off the bat. Head coach Luke Richardson actually was completely behind it. He said, you know, they hear enough from me. And I think that he's kind of put it in place. And now it's the players and the uh, that have to believe in it and kind of carry it out. So that's exactly what they're doing. And I love it. Yeah, I I like the accountability in the locker room for sure. Maybe it wasn't like needed in the fact that they didn't lose 10 in a row. It wasn't like a die or like something needs to happen. But it still is nice to see that these players care and they want to improve things, even though, like you said, a lot of it is expected from them a little bit, like as far as performance and record goes. But still, that's what you want to see. It's good for the future for sure. Hunter, what do you think about this players um, only meeting uh, I think a lot of time when we hear that term, like players only meeting, it's usually 
in reference to a team that's you know the the 18 wheelers falling off the cliff mm-hmm. or uh or it's like mutiny on the bounty where the coach is kind of on the outside and the players are starting to tune out yeah. um but i think they're more common than we think like it, it's mm-hmm. not like not every meeting gets leaked to the to the press or you know not every meeting is closed door at the rink it could be at the back of the plane um after a road game or any scenario where veteran players are talking to a group to say, Hey, you know, this is an 82 game season. Like if you played college hockey, you didn't play more than 40 games in a year. And if you played in the Canadian hockey league for junior, your season tops out at around 60. So I think it's just a veteran group saying like, guys, we're going to have games like this where, you know, we, we come out flat in a period, or even if we work hard, we, just get our asses kicked uh part of my french and i think it's just them and also too like you don't want the coaches to just keep repeating themselves over and over because eventually the players will tune it out so i think it's good to have guys like perry felino and seth jones and just a leadership group to say hey let's you know we're gonna lose games like this let's just forget about it and move on or take lessons from this game that uh you can carry through the year yeah, I think you can only take positives from it. Like you said, so it could have a negative connotation. Like like you said, only it seems like team meetings only happen when things are literally, literally going way off the rails. But in their case, like I said before, I like the accountability there because obviously they've been losing. <laughs> they've been losing some games here. And even though that's expected, it's not something you want to just, you know, kind of just let it go just because they're in a rebuild and they're expected to lose a lot of games. You do like kind of like what coach Richards had said, you do at this point want to see progress and improvements here. So I think it's great. There's obviously a lot of lessons there, but I will say, I thought it was funny when I saw that. Cause I think someone on Twitter, I mentioned like, I think Chicago's turning into the um, players only meeting going on because I think the bears had one. And as you guys know, the Chicago bears are such a hot mess and the <laughs> Chicago bulls had a team meeting after their first game of the season. And now the Blackhawks had one. It's like, Oh my gosh, we're becoming the city of team meetings, but Hey, they're keeping everyone accountable here. They want, they want um Chicago sports to be good. So, you know what? I appreciate that. But yeah, like I said, I, something that stood out to me was Seth Jones had said something about like, I think he had mentioned about like, the team playing good in spurts, um, but they don't want that to be what they're known for. Like they want to see this extended, like the good play extended, not just in spurts. So I thought that was interesting too, which brings me right into what we're going to be talking about next, which is what I kind of wanted to discuss, which was their inconsistent effort pattern. And I know that might seem kind of weird because obviously they're in a rebuild. We know this, they've been facing really tough teams. But I always kind of said, or I always thought in the back of my mind that I I think fans don't want or expect perfection here. They don't expect them to beat Vegas, Boston, um, and the Devils on a nightly basis. It's just, it's a hard task. It's a tall task. But they've shown they can beat good teams this year, obviously, with Vegas and the Maple Leafs. But I think where I was going with this is kind of what we've seen a little bit here. Against Montreal, it was a terrible effort but they came back and they beat the Maple Leafs the next game. And then they had a really bad effort against the Boston Bruins, but then came back the next game and beat the Vegas Golden Knights. So there's like, it's very, I think, I don't really know what to say about that other than 
I think the effort there we've seen, and even with the New Jersey Devils, they slept walk, or like they slept walk through most of that game. They started hot and then they slept walk through most of the rest of the game. And you can say maybe it was tiredness and a back to back and a tough opponent, but I think fans and even like Coach Richardson said, they kind of just the effort has to be there point blank. And I don't know, like last season, the effort was there most of the time, even though the results were not there, but the effort really was there for the most part. So I do think it's kind of, I don't know what it is yet. I don't, I hope this isn't a habit because they showed even at the end of the New Jersey game that when they turn it on, they turn it on. And unfortunately it was too little, too late. There was like five minutes left when they started making that push. Um, But um, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of, I don't know what that is. Um, maybe it's just learning and rebuilding, but like I said, the effort's got to be there in my opinion, just on a nightly basis. Dud games happen for any team, but now I, I don't really like this pattern here. So I guess I want to get your thoughts about this scale. What do you kind of think about kind of like these patterns or like these playing patterns? I think this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. I'm just not sure that this team is good enough to be consistently consistent yet. I mean, they're trying hard. I, they're, they're doing they're they're doing what they can um, and they're going to get better as the season goes along. But they're just still so young and so inexperienced. And sometimes you have to have those experiences before, um, you know, you can get better at them. So they're going to they're, they will throughout the season. I promise they're going to string string together some winning games. And that experience is hopefully what they can build on and keep working on. And, uh, you know, these, this, the, the coach holding them accountable, the players only meetings, uh, these leaders leading the way it's all going to, um, accelerate this process. So I think it's honestly, I think this is a really cool time to be a Blackhawks fan. It is definitely a good time to be a Blackhawk fan. It's definitely a learning curve. Um, a lot of what we're seeing is kind of like new developments, kind of just new. It seems like we're growing with them, to be honest with you, as we're covering the team, right? Um, Hunter, what did you kind of, what do you make of these kind of like inconsistent patterns here? I think it relates to our first topic with players-only meetings where coaches can repeat to players over and over that um Look, we're not going to win every game, and in a lot of ways, this is a rebuilding year, but I got to have effort every single night, mm-hmm. and you've seen instances where maybe a player doesn't get uh, the same regular shift that he's used to. Uh, maybe the lines get jumbled a little bit. We already saw Andreas Athanasiu get healthy scratched for a game earlier in the year, um, and I wrote a story during training camp in the preseason about how uh, a big part of this season for Athanasiu was to shake off the reputation he has as a maybe a player with a low motor who doesn't uh, put in a great effort every single night. And I think what scratching him is what it does is it sends a message to the rest of the lineup that there has to be consistency on any given night with effort. Now, are there going to be nights where they work hard and lose six two or get outshot? Uh, that yeah, that's going to happen because for the most part, this isn't really a playoff lineup, but they also have to recognize that Mm -hmm. when a team is like, when a team isn't as good as, or when a team like them uh, doesn't have playoff aspirations, the coach has a longer leash with um, essentially telling players either pick it up or you're not going to play. And while we've only seen the one instance with Athanasiu with that, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, whoever it is you might see the odd healthy scratch through the year and it might just be one game just to let them know like hey your effort in the second period last night you were dogging it so this Mm -hmm. is what happens yeah I 
I do think those are coming too, probably later on in the season. And I don't doubt that they're trying hard with what they've got, especially with just the build of the roster. But I think Hunter, what you said was important too. Like it's not realistic to expect them to beat everyone like cleanly on a nightly basis. That's just not realistic. But like I said, they could lose six to two, but work their butts off the whole game and fans will be happy with that. Right. But it's the games that we've seen so far. And I think it was like three or four or like whatever it was that that just wasn't there where you're kind of like maybe it could have been a little bit better but like I said it is a learning curve and I do think they'll get better and it's something like Seth Jones said was addressed the players know it they see it too obviously we're not in the locker room but they're out there playing and they notice these things too and they want to improve that as well so yeah I'm I'm excited to see where this goes let's just hope this isn't a habit that's I think what the main Part of this mm-hmm. is just let these like kind of efforts become a habit. Um, just work hard, and you never know what can happen. But they've shown that they have been a hardworking team. So weird pattern, but hopefully it's not a habit. Um, okay, so we're gonna move on now um, to our next topic, and it's actually Hunter's topic about Kevin Korczynski, because um, you had recently wrote an article about Kevin Korczynski and kind of his development um, so far. Um, and the Blackhawks basically, I think, have decided that they're going to keep um, Kevin Korchinski up for the rest of the year. They already burned um, the first year of his entry-level contract. So kind of all of these things are coming into play here. So I guess, Hunter, just to kind of let you take this away, do you think the Blackhawks, you know, allowing um, to burn the first year of his entry-level contract, do you think that was a good decision Obviously, they could have sent him back to Seattle for more development, but he's been impressing pretty good so far. And so just kind of give us your thoughts on that and his performance overall this season. Uh, I think that they're, the bar is a little lower for this team. So you, you're allowing younger players to make mistakes. And if he gets burned on a turnover in his own end, it's not the biggest deal. Um, you saw the second goal for New Jersey last night where he kind of bobbled the puck at the blue line, which led to a a devil's breakaway and a goal. Um, but for the most part, I've been like, even my own expectation, I, I thought he'd make the team this year, but uh-huh. my own expectations have been surpassed. He is so good at little things offensively that it, the veterans in this league can't do. And, and I, and I said it in my column, like I will, I loved watching Seth Jones play with Columbus and Nashville and now Chicago. And he's a very good offensive player, but Already at 19, Kevin Korczynski is better than him. He's a better skater. I, I think that he's a better – I think he has a better offensive hockey sense in his passing. Like, there, there's just little plays he makes. Um, I made the point, it's not just the first pass out of the zone, which they hammer into every single defenseman at every level of hockey. It's the pass once he enters the opponent's zone. And he just does these little things where I'm like, man, that guy is 19. Um, it's already, I think he's already the Blackhawks best offensive defenseman. Um, I don't want to overwhelm him with ice time. So I'd, I'd like to see him get some shifts on the first power play, but I'm okay with Jones sitting there for now. But I think it's, I think for the most part, or I, I think that they already made the right decision, keeping him. and who knows, we'll, we'll see how much ice time, like, cause right now he's on the top pairing with Jones. We'll, we'll see how much ice time he gets, but Overall, I've been really impressed with what we've seen in the first 11 games. Yes, Hunter, I agree with you on Kevin Korchinski because I do think that there wasn't a bad decision with either sending him to Seattle 
or keeping him in Chicago. Obviously, we talked about that, I think, even earlier, just knowing that he would get the development either way, but knowing how he played in the first few games, definitely think it was the right decision to keep him here. He's obviously he has to learn the NHL game, and it's a good year to do it with the Blackhawks not expected to be good. Like you said, there's no pressure on him. And I've been really impressed with him, too, just how he's kind of handled a big responsibility being a top-pairing defenseman with Seth Jones. I think the other thing that stands out to me is how he's rebounded from mistakes. Like you said, we've seen mistakes from him. Obviously that's expected. Um, He's a rookie, just like any other player. They're bound to make mistakes sometimes, but he rebounds really well. He never looks like frazzled or like really just like overwhelmed by everything. And you would think that would weigh on you a lot, but he doesn't. He just takes it in stride in his skating. Yeah. I, Oh boy. Yeah. He's a really good skater. I, I agree with you there. And I do think, he could be like his ceiling could be a little higher than Seth Jones or a lot higher than Seth Jones for sure. And that's not even a knock on Seth Jones or completely different players, but yeah, this um, his ceiling and his potential is so high. It'll be really exciting to watch him. I will say the one thing I think I'm a little disappointed from about is that he might not be able to play at the world juniors um, for team Canada, because I know that means so much to players um, to be able to do that, but you know what? He probably doesn't care if he's living out his dream in the NHL. He's probably like, you know what? He got his gold medal, but, you know, he's, yeah, he's want them to have that opportunity too. But like I said, no harm, no foul. We Blackhawks get to watch him every night. He gets to live out his dream and we're all happy to see it. Um, but Gail, what do you think about Kevin Korchinski so far? Just about everything about the Blackhawks keeping him, how he's done so far. What do you think? You make a good point about his composure. He really does seem composed out there when you have to, it's hard to remember that he's just 19, uh, Uh, and then you mentioned uh definitely that he's ready for the for the nhl i I just think it would have been a little bit wasted if he was in seattle still you know he's going to learn more from the mistakes that he makes up in the nhl now and it's going to be better and it's going to kind of accelerate things for him um uh but i i do i i think that they already hinted and basically said that he would not go play for the world juniors for team canada uh but I almost wonder if, you know, I mean, right, depending upon where he's at, maybe if he's struggling at that at that time, if he's uh, maybe it would be a good thing to to kind of build his confidence and then maybe get somebody like Isaac Phillips to be able to have a kind of an extended stint. So uh, maybe they've already made that decision, but I could also see that changing if he if he decides to struggle or if he if he's struggling. Yeah, that that will be interesting for sure, because like the teams do say they like the players to have that experience if they can. It's extra development for them. And obviously it's important to them as well. It means a lot to them. So but like you said, if he's doing really well and he looks good still here, then obviously they're not going to want to mess with that. But like you said, it probably depends on what he how he's doing then and kind of maybe what also Kevin and the team want to. So that'll be interesting for sure. But again, no bad decision there either. It's just more like we'll just see what happens there. Um, the next topic we're going to talk about is Gail's topic. And I'm actually really, really excited about this one, because if you've watched Blackhawks banter or Blackhawks roundtable, any of our episodes, you know that this player is probably one of my favorites. So we have to talk about Philip Kurashev. Um, he was injured to start the season. And I think the Blackhawks really, really, really missed him when he wasn't in the lineup, but, um, he entered uh, the Blackhawks lineup again on October 24th. He missed six games. It was, it was a lot. Um, like I said, the Blackhawks missed him. We missed watching him. It's a nasty wrist injury there. But, Gail, um, you wanted to talk about kind of just his impact on the lineup since he's been back, and I'm really, really excited about this one. So take it away. What do you got for us? Yeah, he scored the overtime winner. Uh, and, and then the very next game against the Vegas Golden Knights and then a goal and two assists 
with uh, the Florida Panthers. So he's already been producing right away. He has been playing on the top line with Bedard and the two have been uh, enjoying, you know, enjoying, it seems like they're developing some chemistry. He just gives the, he just gives the Blackhawks more options um, within the top six forwards. I could see, you know, the last game, Taylor Hall basically went back up onto that first line. And I think that that's where he'll end up staying. So if he's there, maybe Kurashev really could go down to uh, play with Athanasiu and Reichel. And I, I keep pushing on that line because they did so well last season. And I'd really like to kind of see him get a, get another shot together. But either way, the Blackhawks are just a better team with Kurashev around. And, and hopefully he can keep it up. Yes, Yes, I'm with you on that. Hunter, what do you think of Kurashev's performance and his impact on the team so far? Um, I thought he looked great against Florida. And uh I thought that he it's it's funny enough, that was probably the night or that's the night he's had the least amount of ice time too. He had under 15 minutes that night. And otherwise, though, he's like such a really consistent player to have at the top. And like you said, it, it makes the top six more flexible. Um, I'd like to keep him on the top line now. Uh for now, though, I'd like to see how he, how much they can stretch production out of him and Bedard, and I think it's so tough with a guy like Bedard too because you, you want to maximize what you can get out of him because he's such a freakish talent. But sometimes, you know, even skilled players or fast players, they they don't really have the quite the right chemistry, and, and I don't think that Nick Foligno on the top line is going to be a, a long term option. So. I'd like to just see right now how it goes. I know that Hall will get more chances on there too. And yeah, I'd like to see him play with, uh, with Reichel and Athanasiu, but you know, right now, if it works, then uh, see how it works. Yeah. Right now I'm thinking that Kurashev's contract extension was a steal. And I always thought that like, because I know some people, or we talked about even last year, some had worries about his consistency. Sometimes he strung together a few great games and then would disappear for another like six games before coming back. So it's, it's, I think I just love to see it right now. And like I said, who knows? I really hope he keeps this up, but right now, like Gail said, he makes this team better. The lineup is better with him in it. And I also think something that sticks out to me about Philip Kershaw right now is that he's kind of needed everywhere. You can see that Connor Bedard um, obviously does well playing with Kershaw um, and could continue using him as a line mate there. But also you could see that Lucas Reichel would be a benefit to play with um, Kershaw, obviously even from last year. And Anthony C. You could and Tyler Johnson could and Taylor Hall could like, it just seems like no matter where you would put him, it seems like everyone could benefit from playing with him. So yeah, right now he makes his team better and his contract, I think, is a steal. And I really hope he keeps this up because he's proven he can play. This guy can play. So I'm really happy for him and I'm excited that he's kind of proving those people that were a little bit hesitant about kind of extending him last season due to consistency issues can just, yeah, can just kind of enjoy watching him right now. Yeah, Gail, I'm sorry, you want to say something? No, I was just raising my hand like that was kind of me. You remember me and you went back and forth last season where, you know, you were really high on Kershaw and I was like, oh, but uh, I really hope that this is his breakout breakout season and he can contribute. Yes, yes, I, I agree. I, I really do think this is going to be his breakout year um, for sure. He's got, I think he's got the right line mates too, for sure. All right, guys, we are at the end of our show, so we are going to end it with our shootout round segment where we got five quick fire questions and answers. Are you guys ready for this? Yes. Ready. Okay, let's go. 
Okay, shootout question number one. So Connor Bedard scored his fifth goal of the season on November 4th against the Florida Panthers. He now joins Jonathan Tate as the only teenagers in Blackhawks history to score five goals in their first 10 games. In Taze's first season, he recorded 24 goals and 54 points. Will Bedard beat that? Um, Hunter, I'm going to start with you. Will Connor Bedard get more than 54 points this year to beat Taze? 100% he'll get more than 54 points. I, I had a, I'm a, I don't endorse gambling, but uh, at the beginning of the year, the over under on his point total was 67 and a half. And uh, I would have taken the over if I were a betting man. Um, I, I think just like, even if, you know, regardless of who his teammates are or whoever's on his line, I think he'll stumble into 70 points. He's just got that like, He's uh he could sneeze a point a game if he wanted to. So yeah, I think he'll go over that. And and for goals, I think he'll get over 30. Gail, what do you think? Will he surpass Jonathan Taze's 54? Yeah, I had him pegged. I know we've already kind of talked about this. Um, I had him pegged for 80 points, and I think he'll definitely exceed uh Taze. But I think that he's actually been a little bit um down on himself thinking that he should you know be be, be uh doing better here at the beginning of the season so okay. maybe it's a good thing for him to see that and be compared to Taze and gives him a little bit of a boost and that he's on the right track yeah I know we did talk about this before but I think I mentioned on our season preview or something that I think I predicted 60 something points as more of like Maddie Beniers but obviously like I said knowing he could get a lot more than that but that could be maximum I think his seven points in 11 games have him on pace for 52 points I honestly think he'll beat that for sure and I think he'll beat 54 but honestly if he did end the season with 52 points that would be a great rookie season still like there's no shame in that whatsoever so Either way, though, he's on a really fun and exciting track, and we're having a lot of fun watching him. So I'm excited to see what happens there. But absolutely no pressure to beat Taze, but I'm sure he he has that fire in his belly if you heard that stat for sure. Um, Second question of the shootout round. So obviously we talked about Philip Kurashev and how he has a special place in me and Gail's hearts. But uh, would you rather see Philip Kurashev stay on the top line with Bedard, or would you like to see him move to the second line with Lucas Reichel and Anthony Siu? Obviously, they played together last season. Reichel, Anthony Siu, and Kurashev and did very well together, so there'd be no guessing there. We already know it works. But would you like to see him moved or keep him with Bedard? And I guess I'll start with, to be honest, I do want to see him with Reichel. I think talked about during one of the games I said, or it was during the Arizona game when they were down um, – when they were losing very badly. And I was like, okay, just put Reichel, Bedard, Kurashev now. They need a goal, put them together. Reichel needed to get off of the center position and kind of need to be put on wing to kind of help him a little bit. And obviously Kurashev can give him a boost. I'm I'm thinking I actually would keep Kurashev on the first line right now and let, let Reichel play on the wing on second line for right now because he's only had two games at wing and that's where he excels. He already got his first point. Let's see if he can do anything, but I do want to see Reichel, Bedard and Kershaw be a thing for sure on the first line at some point, but maybe just maybe like give him next game. I don't know. I don't really know if I'm right there. It's a hard decision guys. There's really no, I guess wrong one there, but Gail, what do you think? Well, I think I already said it earlier. I would really just like to see Reichel, Athanasiu, and Kurashev that line together. I think they did well last year. And to be honest with you, I think that Reichel and, and AA basically need Kurashev more than Bedard and whoever his line line mate is going to be in replacement. Um, you know, Bedard and Hall and whoever else. Uh, so that's what I'd like to see. I actually agree with that. Um, 
Reichel and Anthesu probably could use Kershev a lot more than Bedard could. And Bedard could still use them, but it's probably more beneficial to them who could actually use that boost there. Hunter, what do you think about Kershev? Um, I'll stick with what I said earlier. Uh, keep him on the first line for now. Just uh, see what he, him and Bedard could do. For all we know, this could be um, just throwing darts at a board here. Like that could be he end up being like his Chris Kunitz to Sidney Crosby, like just like mm-hmm. the perfect winger that is always there with them. Um, or within a week, they might think, you know what, let's switch it up. But for right now, just uh, leave it as is. If it ain't broke, don't fix it is what you yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Like I said, no wrong answer there. He'd be fine on the first or second line, right? I do think they'll play together, Reichel and Kershev at some point. I just don't know when that will be. <laughs> But okay, third question of the shootout round. Wyatt Kaiser has looked really, really good the last couple of games, and I'm really happy for him because he struggled a little bit um to start the season, even though he had a really good training camp. But obviously he's um a rookie still and he's gonna go through it. But I'm really happy with how he's looked. Um he was a plus two against the Florida Panthers and he had an assist against the Devils. Um, do you guys think he should get a promotion to the first pairing with Seth Jones? Hunter, I'm going to start with you on this one. Um, I'm still biased in that. I, I'd like to see how Korchinski looks with Jones right now. Um, I think we can agree that I don't think they're going to touch Vlasic and Murphy. I feel like that's kind of your mm-hmm. embedded second pairing. So, um, and and yeah, for now, and and I don't I don't know if I really want to put Korchinski in the third spot right now because. He seems to be doing really well with over 20 minutes a game. Um, if only there was more ice time to hand out, if only. Uh, but right now, I think where he is is good because you don't want to overwhelm him as well. Um, but then again, like, I don't know. I, I'm tripping over my own words here. If if Korchinski goes, you know, minus eight in the next five games, then maybe they'll flip. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's you, you can do whatever you want. It's a rebuilding team. Yeah, that's true. Ain't no pressure there. No harm in trying, right? Um, Gail, what do you think? Um, Would you like to see him get promoted from his strong play or just let him be? I think he's just finding his groove with where he's at. And uh, like Hunter already um, indicated, he might be overwhelmed if he's given more responsibility and, and changed around. So leave it be. Yes, I would say leave it be for right now. Like you just said earlier, if it's not broke, don't fix it. If he's doing okay where he's at, then no reason to kind of switch that up. I will say this is a good problem to have if we don't know which who should be on the top airing there. But um, I did love how Wyatt Kaiser and Seth Jones looked together during training camp. So I do think I would like to see that maybe at some point during the season. Like you said, maybe if something, like you said, maybe if Korchinski shows for some reason he can't I don't think he will or maybe if the team just needs a different look um then I would maybe try it for a shift or something if the team needs it but like I said it's good to know they have that in their back pocket and hopefully Kaiser keeps up this strong play um okay so now we're on to our prediction part of the shootout round so uh the Blackhawks will face a lot of tough opponents before we do another uh, roundtable episode they have the Tampa Bay Lightning twice they got the Florida Panthers again the National Nashville Predators, which obviously that might seem like the easier opponent, but the Blackhawks just don't do well against the Nashville Predators and never Never. have. So I I just don't feel good about that one. And the Buffalo Sabres. So that's five games and 10 points on the table. How do you predict they will do? I, 
I honestly don't know. This team has been just very unpredictable in this case of like championship teams. I don't know if there's 10 points. I'll go five. I will go five here. I don't know why. I'll just stick with five. Gail, what do you think? You're going right in the middle there, which is uh, right. Yeah. Easy way to go. Okay, so I'm I I Mrs. Positive again. I think that this team is really really for a breakthrough. Just a few things have to click to kind of like make it happen, right? Um, so hopefully they'll start scoring some more goals or you know power play goals. Hopefully, so I'm actually but you know let's this guy let's let's be realistic here. So I'm gonna say <laughs> six points, six out of ten. So they're a little over five hundred on the on the next those games. They could be in for a breakthrough for sure. Hunter, what do you think? Uh, I think they're going to split uh, five. I think they'll get five points. I think they'll split against Tampa. Um, I think Florida's going to get their revenge. Um, and yeah. Florida's weird, you know? Like, they, they they were just in the cup final last year. I feel like this thing happens now in the NHL where, like, teams that go on, like, not a miraculous cup run, but an unexpected one, Uh yeah, it feels like it catches up to them the next season, and I, it looks like that's happening with Florida. But yeah. um, anyway, uh, I, I think they'll lose to Florida. I think they'll beat Nashville because I just don't respect Nashville. I've somehow watched a lot of games, and I just don't <laughs> like. I don't know. They underwhelm me, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And I, and I think they'll lose an OT to Buffalo. Buffalo's they got some talent, man. That blue line is filled with like really talented young prospects and. I, I just feel like, I don't know, like I live in Atlantic division country and I, I see a lot of Sabres games and I don't know, they'll keep it close, but I, I think they'll lose no these. So five points to answer your question. Right in the middle. I do think, yeah. Oh, sorry. What'd you say, Gail? I said right in the middle. Both of you. Yeah. Right in the middle. Yeah. I do think one of their wins will come against Tampa Bay too. And I don't know why it's just a weird feeling but we'll see how this goes maybe they could really surprise us here too but that will conclude um this episode of uh blackhawks roundtable thank you to hunter and gail for joining me today and thank you all for tuning in and listening um be sure to follow all of us on twitter um all of our links will be in the description below as well all of our twitter links um be sure to follow all of our articles at thehockeywriters.com um, and please be sure to check out the Blackhawks, the Chicago Blackhawks Substack if you're interested in subscribing to get all those content, all the content you want and deserve right to your email. So be sure to check that out. Again, all the links will be in the description and we'll see you guys next time. And we hope that we actually, um, we hope the Blackhawks surprise us here and go maybe on a little run, maybe put together their first win streak of the season. You never know. This team is full of surprises. So thank you guys again and we'll see you guys next time.